BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today we're going to talk about the inevitable stress of the holidays how to ease the transitions, how to respond to kids who are a little bit more sensitive and not quite as adaptable, how to set your expectations and intentions so that when you're interacting with family members and you're feeling sort of the eyes of judgment, that you know how you're going to move forward without it tying your stomach up in knots. And I have Claire Lerner joining me. She did an episode earlier this fall called Why Is My Child in Charge, which is also the name of her book. And you guys loved it. So I'm having her back. We're going to talk also about just how to understand your kids a little bit more in these times of stress, remembering that even exciting times, even excitement is stressful. That's something that Claire says on today's episode. And I really think that that is a good reminder. We're also talking about how to prepare your kids to be around extended family members and not only to help them understand your family and prepare them, also to help your family understand your kids and to help you understand your kids in the way that you already do, but in the context and with the lens of a different setting. If you enjoy this episode, please write a review. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, give a little rating, ideally a five-star rating, and DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And I will answer your questions either on Instagram or in my listener Q&As. And happy December. Claire, (laughs) can you set up in a dream world what we can tell ourselves to manage our expectations this holiday season? Sure. And, And I think it's the most important starting point because how you're going to respond and help yourself and your kids get through this as unscathed as possible is to shift your mind and not get caught in that horrible expectation gap where your expectations are way beyond what your child is really able to bring to the table at this time. So 
when we think of expectations, I think that you want to start by reminding yourself that for many kids, while the holidays are super joyful and they're often very, very excited about it, that excitement is also stressful. And reconnecting with family, some of of whom they may have had some contact with recently, many of whom often they may not see that regularly, even pre-COVID, that that can feel very overwhelming to some kids. And they are less likely to, you know, respond in the ways that you might typically see when they're entering another new situation. So even when you have sort of go with the flow kids who enjoy new things and jump right into situations and revel in connection, even those kids sometimes can feel a little more cautious or fearful when entering a, you know, a very busy family gathering where the schedules are off and they don't have a great idea about what to expect and the food may be different and aunts and uncles may be intrusive and in their space. Like even for those kids, you need to be open to the idea that they may need a little bit more time and support. But especially if you have a child who is a more sensitive kid who, you know, you and I have talked a lot about that those kids who are more cautious in new situations that feel overwhelmed more quickly, that get triggered into stress mode more quickly, who find large gatherings um, overwhelming, who feel more self-conscious, like that's just to name a few of the things that can be more challenging for those kids that can make these holiday get-togethers very, very stressful. So that's a very long-winded way of saying that you want to be prepared that your child may need time and support. They may not be their best selves. They may say and do things that are mortifying. And if you're prepared for it, it's going to go much better because first of all, you're going to be less angry and frustrated because you're not going to be caught off guard and you're going to have a plan and hopefully you and I will have time to talk about like what that might look like when your child does. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the first step is if you have an expectation that this may be more challenging for your child and that it's not going to be all loves and hugs and happiness, then you're already ahead of the game because you are going to be prepared and you're also going to be exuding less anxiety towards your children, which is another factor that, you know, we probably should talk about just sort how kids pick up on their parents' anxiety. And if they sense that you're worried, especially if you're saying things like, now, remember, you have to give, you know, grandma a really nice greeting or she feels rejected or remember, like we have to share those sort of warnings can actually totally backfire because it sends the message to the child that I'm I'm worried about this and I'm sort of expecting you to act out, which actually makes it more likely that that's going to happen. 
So let's go back a little bit because then, and then I definitely want to dig deeper into this because the proactive ways of managing what we know is going to happen is going to be super helpful for everybody. But I just want to go back for a minute and say that it's also okay to, and the episode that you just referenced that we did together on this particular you know, type of kid on highly sensitive kids or low adaptable kids or uniquely, (laughs) what are some better ways of, I think highly sensitive is a nice way. Those kids, we'll put that in the show notes, but for all kids, there is something amped up about the holidays that may make really adaptable kids turn into kids that you don't recognize. (laughs) And, And maybe even will up your empathy for parents who have highly sensitive kids all year round Um, because you're, you're losing a lot of the things that make it a stable, easy time because you're staying up later, eating more junk, you know, bending rules, getting, as you said, which I love this and I'm going to put this quote right on Instagram, but excitement is also stressful. That's something that is just so important to remember because we kind of get almost resentful sometimes of our kids for not appreciating how great the experience we're giving them must be. Like, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, even the kids who are super extroverted by nature, they can get on total over arousal in these situations. And when they're in that high arousal state, their systems are stressed and it's much harder for them to show the kind of self-regulation that they may typically be able, right, to exhibit in a more typical situation. And that's why it's so important to put yourself in their shoes and imagine from their perspective how overwhelming and overstimulating this can be. And then you add sort of the expectations that they're already picking up on, right? Like you're supposed to have good manners and you're supposed to greet everyone warmly and you're supposed to play super nicely with all your cousins. And even the most resilient kids can have a tough time. So really, all parents need to be open to the possibility that their child is not going to behave in the way they expect And then, you know, you and I will get into tools for, I think, one, how to prepare all kids, you know, whether you have a highly sensitive kid or not, and then what to do in difficult moments to reduce escalation and stress versus inadvertently amplifying it. So let's do this. Let's break up preparing the more highly sensitive kids and preparing all kids. So, well, let's start with preparing all kids for what this month is. And they've already experienced some of it because of Thanksgiving week. And then we can go into highly sensitive kids just so that parents can give themselves and their kids a little more space. And then, like you said, it takes so much of our stress off the table and the nervous systems of the whole family can be much more regulated. Because if you're like clutching yourself with dread because of your kid's temperament and this time of year, that isn't going to serve 
anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, so let's go into those tools. So generally, what are top five tools for preparing for this season for any kids to just have a little bit more grace? And, you know, the first tool being setting expectations for ourselves, but what about setting expectations with the kids? Mm-hmm. The nice thing is I actually think it's one in the same thing because as you are preparing your kids, in a way, you're really also preparing yourself. Like it, it sort of goes hand in hand. So for example, actually what I'm thinking of top of mind is actually a conversation I had just earlier today in one of my consults with families where they happen to have a child who's typically more go with the flow, can manage when he doesn't get what he wants when he wants it, you know, is pretty adaptable. But they celebrate Hanukkah and it just became like a frenzy with this like gift every night. And, you know, were they getting, you know, chocolate, you know, Hanukkah gelt with their present as well. And it's like this child was so on hyper arousal because of all of the sort of extra stuff he was getting. Bedtimes were getting later. Family was coming over. It was completely different from what a typical, especially like school night would be. And he just became a complete, in the parents' words, monster as a result of, you know, the overstimulation and the market change in his daily routine. And they felt like they had created this like horribly ungrateful person who like basically when the grandparents came in the door said like, what did you get me? You know? And so that brings me to kind of my first step when we did the redo, when the family and I talked about like, what were the lessons learned and what might they do differently? And I would say the first thing is to prepare your child for exactly what to expect and like who they're going to be seeing, where they're going to be going, you know, what they're going to be getting if like gifts are involved anticipating for them how, well, I'm probably actually mixing up a lot of like, like the five different things that parents should do. So I'll I'll try and, you know, maybe be more linear about it, which is, is not easy for me, as you know. Um, I'll, I'll, I, you know, and we can give some grace if it's not super linear, since I arbitrarily said five. (laughs) No, it's like, whoa, I was kind of putting you on the spot. Um, you know, really anything that's yeah. helpful. I think everybody, everybody can go with that. Great. So let's start with like the logistics, like literally where you're going to be, how you're getting there, who's going to be there, what meals you might be having so that children understand and have some way of anticipating what to expect. If you can add lots of visuals and make it concrete, all the better. Because especially for very young children, it's very hard for them to use their imaginations at that point to recall all these people and what they look like and what it feels like to be with them. So looking at pictures, reminding them of other times they've seen these relatives, talking about the relatives, talking about cousins, the more you can make it digestible and relevant to them, the better. So one would be just taking them through the logistics 
very specifically uh, where they're going to be sleeping, who they're going to be with. That already can be very supportive in reducing anxiety because really anxiety at its core is a fear of the unknown and not knowing what to expect. And so the more you can make that imaginable for them and they can picture it and plan for it, the better. So I would say that's a biggie. I would also then say that alongside that, a very important strategy is to prepare family as well in advance. And especially if you have a more reactive kid who has a hard time with change and transition and these kinds of group gatherings, you really want to connect with your family and do a little bit of what I think of as like mediation, planful, anticipatory mediation. So it would be priming them by saying things like, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, whoever you're talking to, like, you know, Alexandra is an awesome kid and she's so passionate and she adores you guys and adores our get togethers. But at the same time, they can be really overwhelming for her. And Actually, what helps her most is giving her some space when we first enter. So basically what I'm setting up is that you are showing acknowledgement and empathy for your family's experience, right? That like, it may feel uncomfortable if your child doesn't go in and want to give them a big hug um, or even wave, right? Like that's another strategy is to give children other ways to greet people. And you definitely want to... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just... I made a video on Instagram about different ways to respond to people who insist on hugging your kids. And it was so interesting how angry it made some people. (laughs) Like they really felt like triggered, I guess, by my suggesting this idea of not forcing kids to hug, but just to come up with some kind of greeting, but just, it doesn't have to be touching. And I was amazed at how much that hit home for people in both positive and negative ways. Mm. And I guess people who forced kids to hug felt really criticized, but I think this is an important thing to talk about because (sighs) I agree. I, I could not agree more with you. And I mean, of course, and we aren't making this up. There's literature to back it up, but it really did upset some people in a, in a way that I'm not used to um, because I, I typically don't have very controversial things to say. And I realized that I think that in doing so it, it made people feel upset for their own way of being, I guess. Well, you know, I think, yeah, I think what happens, Aliza, and this is just one of the toughest things about parenting is that, you know, we project a lot of our own sort of adult, you know, logic or even needs onto our kids. And it can get very tricky to separate what they're telling us with their behavior and what their needs are and what feels comfortable to us. So my guess is that for certain parents, it, you know, that 
that physical connection is such a deeply held belief and value. And it's hard for them to imagine that could make a child uncomfortable. And so they, I think, often misread it as like defiance or just being purposefully rude. Or I've had parents say things to me like, you know, she just wants to embarrass me, like in front of my parents. Like it can get that intense where parents, you know, and then you also have just, even when parents are sensitive to it, they get such flack and such negative feedback about their children from their own parents and brothers and sisters that like, they just want to make the kid do it to take everybody out of their misery. Like if you would just hug grandma and be warm to her when she comes into the house, like things will go so much better, but these are kids and they aren't prepared or able, nor as you and I know, is it psychologically healthy to force a child to do something that feels really uncomfortable to them. And so you get these moments that are so troubling to parents, but in their reaction, which is designed to solve the problem by like forcing a kid or sometimes inadvertently shaming a child into doing something, it's actually having a very negative effect on their child. And I find since in my world, I'm doing these intensive consults with parents, we get a lot of time to unravel these things. And I find that once parents are able to see that the child isn't like purposefully being rude or trying to make you look bad in front of your family and that the way they experience hugging and greeting is very different than the way we experience it. And that for some kids, especially the highly sensitive ones, it's too intense for them. It's like the kids who don't make eye contact when you first say hello to them. Or when I do used to do a lot of home visits, I often would go into a home and the first thing the child would do was hide. And the best thing to do was to literally ignore them and just like engage the parents in a super loving, fun way and say things like, oh, I can't wait to see what Aliza's favorite book is. I hear she really likes dinosaurs and sort of just do this sort of backroads way of showing that you're a safe person and giving the child time to come to you. Often when we do that, you get a very different outcome, but it takes a lot of work to help families see that you can't ascribe your own logic or way of thinking about relationships to your child necessarily. You know, the thing that you said so quietly or like that that might have gotten lost, I just want to highlight, which is that it is a very confusing message to tell children not to listen to something that makes their body feel uncomfortable in the world, except for in these random circumstances that feel okay to you as the parent, because that presumes that they're feeling that same comfort level and they're Mm -hmm. clearly not. And I really want to highlight that because that is the primary reason to consider this. And also the idea that 
kids might not feel the same feelings we want them to feel comes into play here too. It's hard, you know, it's like not feeling grateful when you open your presents. There are things that we just get so passionate about and they trigger us so much. And they're all, of course, coming on these holidays. But that's maybe what it's about is that disconnect between what you imagine they should be feeling and what they're actually going through. Yeah, that is the crux of it. Because think about it. Most parents are coming at it from, this is so awesome. You haven't seen your cousins who you love in a year and it's going to be so awesome. And probably there's part of that for the child, but it's not as simple as that. You know, there's an overlay of the reconnection and the sussing out that has to happen when you haven't seen people for a while and the pressures of, you know, sharing and taking turns and being part of a potential sort of a cousin scrum, if you will. And so often there is, like we started with, there is some excitement, but there's often some attendant anxiety. And I think once parent, that's where we started was that you want to start by calibrating your expectations. And that starts with tuning into your own feelings about the upcoming gathering and then being able to put those aside in order to be able to put yourself in your child's shoes and imagine knowing who your child is and what makes her tick, what this experience might be like for her and to be sensitive to that and then to provide her the tools for coping with some of those stressors. And now we're going to take a little break so that I can tell you about my sponsors. Have you ever needed to see a doctor, search to find the right one, and then waited on hold to book an appointment, rearrange your schedule, and then you find out maybe the doctor doesn't even take your insurance or, you know, they didn't have a good rating. So here's the deal. There is an amazing app, ZocDoc, that you can download for free, which is the easiest way to get a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. You can search for local doctors who take your specific insurance. You can read verified patient reviews, book an appointment, book it in person or video chat, and never wait on hold or talk to a receptionist again. And whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, an eye doctor, or any other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. So go to ZocDoc.com slash humans and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Now is the time to prioritize your health. We have let our health go so much in the last year and a half. Get those appointments in, get your checkups in, and go to ZocDoc.com slash humans download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free, book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's zocdoc.com slash humans. The holidays are just around the corner. So if you are looking for a fantastic gift for your loved ones, Skylight is that. It's such a wonderful gift for grandparents or family members who aren't with you. Anybody who lives far away, Skylight Frames is a photo frame that you can update instantly by email 
from anywhere. And it's a great way to feel close to those that you love who are just not with you. And it's such an effortless setup. It sets up in under 60 seconds. You plug it in, you use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network and enjoy. And also everyone in the family can just email the personal skylight email address and the picture pops up in seconds. So you can give it to multiple family members and all be looking at the same adorable things. It's like just such a fun way to use technology. And it's a very pretty clean 10 inch touch screen. And you can just swipe through the photos with your finger. If you're just feeling like you need a little pick me up, plus it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. So if you don't love your skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. You can preload it with your favorite photos for a personalized gift, import pictures of you and your family, or you can give it to your teenager and their friends can all send pictures of each other right to the skylight frame. Now, as a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code HUMANS. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code HUMANS. That's skylight, S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com, promo code HUMANS. KiwiCo has fantastic projects, one-stop shopping gifts for every kid of every interest of every age. Kids can discover everyday objects, learn science of cooking, explore new cultures, practice new engineering techniques, design and arts and crafts. You can give a KiwiCo subscription and celebrate a love for hands-on learning all year round. We just did a project at home, and by we, I mean my children, did a project of making ornaments. And by the way, we don't even have a Christmas tree, (laughs) but it was really fun. And all the materials are in the package, ready to go. You don't need anything. In this case, the only thing we had to add was a little bit of water because it was a paper mache project. So your child gets super cool hands-on stuff in the mail. They're going to be excited for it to arrive. And if you're getting it as a present for someone, they're going to be so excited to think of you every time that subscription box comes. And as parents, we know it can be hard to find materials, to find creative ways to keep your kids offline. And when there isn't something that's just easy, open-ended play, Kiwi has something for you. So this holiday season, give the gift of fun, hands-on holiday experience with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code HUMANS at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code HUMANS. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorced Not Dead. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. So let's maybe give some tools while we're here in the nonlinear conversation. (laughs) 
what are, what are a few tools that we can grab onto? And of course the first always being our own tool of whatever, I mean, I would say box breath for me, but whatever gives you pause before you react or respond instead of react. And for me, it's a box breath. And I think for a lot of people, it would be a breath of some kind, but what are some tools that we can just throw in here? So I would say that I think it's both tools for kids and tools for parents. So they're really sort of integrative, if you will, because of course, the more tools you're able to provide your child, the less anxious you're going to be and the less need there will be for box breath. Now, there will still be a place for that because none of these you know, strategies are, are foolproof, but certainly um, empowering your child with alternative ways of being or coping in this situation is going to also help you. So let's just start with the kids, right? So you already opened the conversation or we started, we already started to talk a little bit about just alternative options for greetings, right? So saying to your child, Marissa, we're going to be going to grandma's. And I know that when you first enter a a place and see somebody for the first time, it sometimes feels uncomfortable and you need a little time in order to warm up to people totally makes sense. Totally understand. I get exactly how you feel. So let's talk about ways that you might greet family that feels comfortable to you. Now, let me pause and say, I do think there is a place for teaching. Like meaning while you're empathizing with your child in the way that I just described, that's not mutually exclusive from helping your child understand what it feels like on the other end, right? So I might say to this child, who I'm now calling Marissa for some reason, I totally get how you feel. The thing is, is that everybody's different. People like to greet in different ways and I would make it very relatable to them, like talking about their friends and how their friends like to do different things and they like to greet in different ways and they like to play in different ways and they respond to new activities in different ways. Like we're normalizing that. And then you can say, but like grandma is somebody who feels really close to people by like hugging them really tightly and talking to them a lot right away. That's what feels good to grandma. She's a separate person. What feels good to you is having some time and space. And so let's talk about ways to greet grandma that feel comfortable to you that also acknowledge that she likes to be connected to you and let's find a way to do that, right? So I do think it's important for kids to understand how their behavior impacts other people. The key is not to do it in a shaming way because that's usually what happens, right? Is grandma like, is like, oh, you know, why won't Marissa hug me? And, you know, while the other cousin is running over and, you know, hugging grandma and regaling her with like a million new things she's doing in school. And then you feel completely mortified because your child, you know, won't go near her. That takes me back to that original idea of preparing your family. Like this is who Marissa is. She adores you guys, but she needs time. So what she feels comfortable with is greeting in a different way. And then you might say to Marissa, what would you like to bring with you? 
that may help you connect with other people. So maybe she picks, you know, a favorite toy or some books she loves. And then you can go to your parents and say, we're going to offer you a book that you could read with Marissa. And you, so you're sort of doing this simultaneously. You're both preparing the people in your world for what to expect and helping them develop empathy as opposed to judgment of your child. And you're giving your child some tools. So you see how when you approach it this way, already your anxiety is getting reduced because you have a plan. And for older kids, let's say teen, I just want to bring them in here, though this is going to be much more important with younger kids because with older kids at a certain age, it's like there's less confusing conversation going on. But is there something we could say about older kids for this same example? So, you know, it's such an interesting and important question to ponder because here's how I think of it. And I'm very curious to see how how you think about this. So my starting point, no matter the age of the child, is when you're in a situation where they're not doing, let's call it what's expected, right? In, In that scenario, like let's say giving a warm greeting. The first question I ask myself is in this little scenario in front of me, what do I control and not control? Because if you go down the path of trying to control somebody else, you are in a rabbit hole, right? You're like begging, bribing, threatening your teenager to do something to make you feel comfortable because it's so mortifying, right? And the thing is, is then all you're doing is giving your child fodder for more resistance. And it's shaming, right? Because you're basically saying, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you, you know, giving grandpa a hug? And so once I get clear on that, it takes you to the next step, which is what is within your power in that very challenging, uncomfortable moment that does not throw your child under the bus and that can be somewhat healthy and salutary. So now that I'm sort of played all that out, because I I share with you my mindset, because it's what leads to my guidance, right? Because sometimes my guidance seems very counterintuitive and perplexing until I make clear all the psychology behind it. So given that assessment, what I might do is say to my teen, same thing. We're going to grandma and grandpa's and I, because they're teenagers. Then I would ask them how they feel about it and what they're, how they're making sense of getting together as a family. And I would draw them out and really show interest and eagerness in understanding what those gatherings feel like to them and make them feel completely heard and understood, right? We're always agnostic about feelings. It's feelings are never the problem. It's what we do with our feelings that can become productive or problematic. So you you tune into and show validation um, and understanding of their perspective. And then you say to them, okay, well, you know, you're the only one in control of your voice and your body. So you're the decider of how you're going to be once we get there or once, you know, family comes to our house. What do you think would make you feel most comfortable? And if out of that conversation comes things that seem really acceptable, awesome. 
and you empower them to do that because now they have a voice, right? So now they can say, you know, grandma, I really want to talk to you about that. Let's talk after dinner. Or, you know, they, they respond in a way that is, you know, connected, but this may be setting some limits. If they decide that they're going to sit in a room and take out, you know, a book and, you know, read it in another room, you have to get clear with yourself. Like, what am I going to do in that situation? And what control do I have or not have? That's really where the rubber meets the road. Like you can't force a child to interact. And so I think at that point, I would just be helping my teenager think through what, how's that going to make her feel? How might, how might it make other people feel? And then you say to your family, she's having a hard time participating in the way that I know you guys really want her to. So you know, I think what I'm raising is that I think with teenagers, you have to stay in a space where you hear them out, you help them brainstorm, you help them think through how their actions are going to affect others. And then they have to sit with that. Because if your whole focus becomes trying to get them to do something they're uncomfortable doing, then you lose their trust. They feel very shamed. And they're more likely, I find, to act out and dig in their heels. And okay, so taking this one step further, and I love everything that you're saying, I want to address two things off of this. First, I just want to clarify when you said something is shaming and you explained why, I just want to reiterate when you criticize the person that your child is, for being a jerk about something or whatever it is, then you're shaming. But that doesn't mean that you can't address, correct, and comment on behaviors when you isolate it to the behavior and still love and cherish your child for who they are. So I just wanted to clarify because sometimes people confuse that and then they think, well, if I say anything, I'm shaming. And I know that's not what you meant and you you said it and I just wanted to stretch that explanation out. And also let's go to the, the grandparent or family member who's now, we've prepared the kids, we've sort of set this transition up. We're going in with expectations that are more developmentally appropriate and, and temperament appropriate. And now we've got family members who are looking with a judgmental eye or who don't accept this. Now what? Right. So first of all, I'm so glad you reiterated that thing about shame because I I could imagine listeners saying, well, like, don't you hold your kids, you know, like, aren't you teaching them about, you know, good manners and not hurting other people's feelings and certainly not misbehaving. Like if someone's being, you know, if a teenager is being outright rude to family members, then absolutely just like with young kids, like you need to set a limit, but it's the way you do it. I apologize. You're going to hear my dog in the background and I, I don't have a lot I can do about that right now. (laughs) There are so many dogs that sneak into this podcast. (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, he's really cute and I'll send you all pictures. So give, give us some grace. So, but it's exactly what you said is it's the way you do it. Right. So I might say to a teenager, I see you're having a really hard time right now feeling friendly to other people. I see that and that's your choice, but then we're not going to all like, then it looks like you need to take a break. Like that would be a way to not throw them under the bus. Like what you don't want to do is say like, what is wrong with you? 
Like nobody's going to want to spend any time with you if you act that way. Like that's sort of a more harsh shaming, you know, what's wrong with you, you're subpar, you're less than, and that only reinforces the negative behavior that only increases the child's shame and whatever else they're dealing with. It's making it hard for them to interact with people. It's not motivating. It's more debilitating. So you definitely set limits, but it's the way you do it is by saying right now you're having a hard time being part of the group. And if you're not ready and able to do that, no problem. But then, you know, you're welcome to do something in another room on your own. I don't want that. I really miss you. I want you to be part of the group. People really want to hear and interact with you, but that's something you have to decide. Because I find that when you chase kids and you shame them and cajole and nag, they only run in the other direction. But if you set the limit and you give them space it is much more likely that they are going to then take their own intentional action to engage. But once they've been shamed and you've thrown them under the bus, they are overcome with negative emotion and they're much more likely to retreat. So I'm really glad you raised that, Aliza, because that is a really tricky thing for parents is figuring out how to set a limit and parent because that's our job while not shaming and throwing our kids under the bus, especially when it comes to teenagers. And especially when we're ourselves like sitting there going, oh my God, my mom is watching me and thinking I'm a crappy mom. So now I'm going into my stress response and then I snap at my kid and it, you know, goes into that cycle. So this is just, again, setting up expectations. We, the parents are at a little bit of a, uneasiness potentially. So we're going to have to be more conscious of how we respond to our kids in this time of year, especially because those watchful eyes can put us into our own shame brain. Exactly. And that, like, that's where it comes full circle, right? The starting point is manage your expectations. You would say to yourself, I've got a teenager right now who's in a super angsty mode and she's feeling awkward and she's feeling self-conscious and she compares herself to her cousins who are super extroverted and she's really anxious about these family gatherings. So what's my game plan going to be? You know, you have the conversation, you help her think through how she wants to be, and you do all that preparatory work, which may yield great results. But if it doesn't in the way that I just described, then you're prepared to respond in this calm, loving, and centered way. And I would also say that when parents respond in the way that I just described, right, where they're setting a limit, but they're still maintaining connection and love and they're not shaming their child, almost always the people around them are in awe of them because they really respect how they're responding and that they're not losing it and not throwing their child under the bus. And so it makes the parent feel better, right? That they didn't get reactive. And it Mm -hmm. also communicates something very powerful to the rest of the family, which is that I know my kid and I'm a really good parent. I'm tuning into her and I'm giving her some choices and some tools. 
that are appropriate in this moment, in this setting. I love that. Okay. Now, there are a couple of other things that I want to touch on that bubble up this time Mm -hmm. of year and can be challenging. I want to address, we mentioned it a little bit, but that expectation of gratitude and just when kids open presents or when kids have the opportunity to do something fun in the same way that you were saying shaming and pushing your teenager is actually going to have that or your toddler, frankly, is going to have the opposite impact. That goes for trying to force gratitude as well. So I wanted to just do a couple of minutes on another approach to promoting gratitude and responding to people who are giving you gifts in ways that are not forcing a square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so tough. I've spoken to so many parents recently who are really struggling with this, you know, because it's so triggering. And it's like, you know, it just goes back to like, the biggest challenge in parenting is that you have no control over your child. Ultimately, like you have control over you and how you handle these situations, but you can't make your child say and do anything. And it's one of the most maddening things about being a parent, you know, is that you have such clear ideas about if we're honest about it, you know, who you want your child to be, you want your child to be that, you know, joyful, happy, generous kid who, you know, is overflowing with appreciation for every single thing they get. And then you have a kid who is, you know, in a place where maybe they've got a new baby at home and they're feeling very jealous and competitive and they feel like it's never enough because that's sort of their irrational state of mind in the moment because of all the things they're trying to manage in their little world emotionally. And so, you know, someone gives them a gift and all they do is, you know, say, well, what else are you giving me? (laughs) You know, or I already have this truck, you know? And so it's a really good question. That's my very long-winded way of saying it's a very good question. And again, I think preparation is really important So I might say to a child, like I'm again, thinking of the family I saw today, this is what we came up with exactly because it's the exact situation where this child was just seeming so greedy and it was never enough and wasn't showing enough appreciation. So what the redo we did was first to set expectations and say to a child, you know, we're going to be celebrating whatever that holiday is. And as part of that holiday, we give gifts and we get gifts. That's going to happen. And gifts are chosen by the giver. And it's an act of love. It's an act of, you know, showing that they care about you. They want to share something with you. And it's an act of generosity. And it's important to acknowledge that in some way. So I could, because again, Aliza, I do think it's important that there are some limits and expectations, but within the realm of a child's comfort. So sometimes they don't do those things like say an effusive thank you, because sometimes they're actually overwhelmed or they're, they feel on the spot and self-conscious. Like a lot of times we misinterpret that, you know, 
not showing generosity somehow conveys that your child, you know, is unappreciative or is spoiled or at worst is a sociopath who just can't get enough and it's never enough. And and usually that's in, in almost every case, I've never found that to be really what's right. lurking beneath. Often it's because they're overwhelmed, they're on high arousal, they're self-conscious because everybody's watching them open these gifts and they're just reacting from their downstairs brain. They're reacting from stress, they're reacting from discomfort. So you don't want to take what they do at face value. And even like some kids, and this goes back to the beginning of the episode, like kids who don't want, who have a particular temperament of not wanting all the attention on them and people are watching them have a reaction to something or open something where there is a have to feeling or a sense that there's a way to do it that can set them off as well. It's like, you know, interpreting a kid who's anxious, but they're snapping at you and sound angry as an angry kid when they're an anxious kid. So it's a lot of our own keeping our curiosity hat on instead of judgment hats. Exactly. And that happens in so many situations like behavior that people think is rude is really just anxiety. Yeah. Right. Like, so I think we've tried to cover a lot in a short period of time, but I think like to me, the take home is you got to dig deeper and not take these kids behavior at face value. Often there's a lot of emotion and overwhelming feelings that these kids are having a really hard time making sense of. They sense the expectation, right? But they're not able to meet that expectation because the feelings are so big that they supersede what they quote unquote know to be right. So while I know I said like you still I believe you still want to prepare these kids. You still you're still their teacher. You still want to explain gift giving. And that there is an expectation, but then you say, but I know sometimes that can feel overwhelming to you. So let's talk about a range of ways to show gratitude. Like I would give kids an option. You know, sometimes it's even like I've had kids where they'll whisper to a parent and the parent whispers it right to the grandparent. And it looks insane. It looks insane to the person who's not a child development specialist. But to us, we know that that feels more comfortable. So you're basically saying, I know that feels uncomfortable to you and I know you're appreciative. What are the ways we can show that? You're right. What seems completely appropriate to us, and this is often the case, a a weird thing like a whispering kid and then the parent is whispering, that is a great solution (laughs) to us. But to other people, it might seem so strange or weird or or like it's coddling and it's really not. You're giving tools and you're exercising muscles that the that these kids haven't yet grown. And so these are those small ways to have them do something a little bit outside of their comfort zone, but comfortable enough that they're not seeing red. Exactly. And that's where it all, like you can see how all of these strategies we've, we've talked about are so interwoven because if you know this about your child, like you know a lot about your child and how they respond in these, you know, high intensity situations. So use what you know and say to your parent, look, she sometimes, you know, she's a deer in the headlights when she gets a gift and she feels on stage, like everybody's waiting for a reaction. So 
we're giving her a chance to show her gratitude and thanks by like, we're going to take a picture at home of her playing with the toy and she's going to dictate a note and we're going to email that to you. Like you're basically mediating. You're not, you're not rescuing or coddling. I think that was so important that you raised that because the optics are that when really you want to say to your family, this is who she is she's wired in a way where like, she's not making it up. She's not purposefully trying to be rude. She's telling us that this is an uncomfortable moment for her and she's not able to meet your or our expectations. So we're giving her alternative ways to do that. And so if you can prep it, then you can also really reduce those in the moment, you know, stressors when your child doesn't make eye contact and doesn't say thank you and goes on to the next toy, you've already had this conversation with your parents or your sister. And they now have a different lens through which to see your child and what you're doing. And if they don't, and we can close on this note, if they don't, and there's a going to be a, a section of family members who just aren't up for this and don't want to tolerate this and might roll their eyes at you or might say, this is ridiculous. And in that case, maybe you talk to your kids about how sometimes people have different ideas about ways of being, and we're not going to be able to make everyone happy. And your priority is your child's growth and development. And it doesn't need to be the adult's growth and development because you're not necessarily going to be able to change you know, a person who's been on this earth for many decades and is sort of set in their ways. And also if that's the way they raised you or your partner, there's an embedded criticism. And so they might be even more defensive. So I just want to give space for the possibility that some of us are going to find ourselves in situations where people just completely disagree and don't and do think it's coddling and don't care about the neuroscience of it or relationship stuff. And that's okay. And then it's on us as parents to just make the decision at what point are we going to prioritize the person we are growing or the person who grew us or whatever, or who grew up with us. And there may be a, a point where you do have to make that choice. Yeah, I think I'm I'm so glad you raised that because that is, you know, helping children learn to manage a range of relationships, just like you're going to be helping them understand why one teacher is very punitive in her approach and another mm-hmm. teacher is much more collaborative and why some teachers yell and others don't. Like a lot of it is helping your child you're basically mediating that experience for them and helping them create a healthy narrative by validating like, yes, that is very hard for grandma. As she's somebody who has that expectation, it's hard for her to be flexible and it's not about you. You know, you just, you're going to have to say that a lot of the time is that you're basically giving them perspective that they don't have because they haven't been on this earth that long to understand and interpret why other people do what they do. And I think that's a a really important gift that you're raising. Mm 